Hello, you're listening to a Zen Studies Society podcast. To learn more about our community of Zen Buddhist practitioners, please visit zenstudies.org. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Reverend Martin Luther King, Jr. Hatred can never put an end to hatred. Love alone can. This is an unalterable law. People forget that their lives will end soon. For those who remember, quarrels come to an end. Dhammapada. Good afternoon. We certainly live in interesting times. Looking at the political polarization in our nation, and the surge in white supremacist violence and the inconceivable numbers of COVID cases and deaths and the paucity of vaccines when we need them most, we may feel cursed And yet, we're blessed. What had been somewhat buried has been fully exposed. It's as if a festering infection has been lanced and slowly, with great attention, healing can begin. For most of us, this has been a period of solitude and we've discovered that This is the best of times to study the way, which is to study the self, as Dogen put it. At once, the personal self, the national and international self, the interconnected global self. And the boundless cosmic self. In the enforced isolation of our ongoing COVID session We have no choice but to meet the challenges of our time with spiritual dedication and energetic motivation. We do this by not getting caught up in the outer 
churning and turmoil, but by simplifying and clarifying, noticing our inner fears and long-held anxieties, noticing our reactive impulses. Only by recognizing them can we begin the process of letting them go. As we study the self, many questions arise. Someone may ask, how long have I been going through my life engulfed by shame, guilt, self-hatred? How long have I been paralyzed by fear, by a lack of self-confidence, unable to act? Or when can I finally stop trying to fill the hole inside with food, with substances, with others? It takes time. It takes years of patient, consistent practice, bravely looking at the variations on the theme of whatever it is. We might call it self-loathing. We might call it aversion whatever we call it, it requires this courageous seeing into it. And at some point, a softening happens, forgiveness happens, compassion happens, for the despair of many years ago and for the deep groove that's left in the psyche. With that compassion, real change can occur. Seen into and fully acknowledged the separate self is forgotten. Then who are we? This. This. All things all phenomena, mountains, rivers, the good earth. And each one of us has the ability to experience this because each one of us from the beginning is endowed with Buddha nature. It's a matter of returning home. Perhaps we do not yet trust this. So we have to give ourselves to the process, sitting, 
as if our lives depend on it. And they do. We are here to fully engage in this rare human birth, to give ourselves to each moment. When we find ourselves getting entangled in dualistic interpretations and arguments, in passing distractions, what do we do? We return to the breath. We exhale completely. We come home to sit together in session this weekend is to reaffirm this and to feel deep recent events, including the violent storming of our nation's capital have understandably been deeply upsetting and shocking to many. But to feel shocked is in actuality a mark of privilege. Our black sisters and brothers are not surprised. All of us who have been on the receiving end of such violence, black and brown, indigenous, and Asian, Jew and Muslim, gender non-conforming, LGBTQ, are not surprised. The attack in Washington and others like it in the past and more than likely in the future have to be viewed in the context of our nation's history. Although many have claimed in a kind of willful innocence, this is not who we are. The Washington Post got it right, and I quote, this is not un-American or alien to who we are. It is the fruit of everything we have ignored since Reconstruction was overthrown in South Carolina in 1876. And we cannot assume that this failed putsch will be the end of the violent attempt to replace democracy once again with white power. And we cannot support them with our silence. Hillary Clinton said it too. Quote, it's sobering that many people were unsurprised by what occurred last week, particularly people of color for whom a violent mob waving Confederate flags and hanging nooses is a familiar sight in American history. Consider what we saw last June when Black Lives Matter protesters 
peacefully demonstrating in Lafayette Square were met with federal officers and tear gas. If the first step toward healing and unity is honesty, that starts with recognizing that this is indeed part of who we are, unquote. This honesty is what we bring to our examination of the self, the personal and collective self. So it starts by recognizing our own polarizing tendencies, which of course are rooted in uh, the perceived need to protect the self as a separated identity. We notice with that honesty, the many ways, often subtle ways, in which we set up divisions between us and them. Can we be courageous enough to hear the inner monologue that demonizes others, that asserts our own self-righteousness? We build this courage through the simple act of sitting still. and awakening to who we truly are. Buddha's being, sentient beings. Sentient beings discovering our birthright. Breath by breath, sitting after sitting, our faith in this grows. And through this deepening faith, we can feel others as ourselves and act from that sense of intimacy out of which Compassion blooms. Even when circumstances seem most disruptive, we can return to our inner stability. We don't need to become agitated. In fact, we know that we cannot be of any help if we succumb to the swirling fear and turmoil of the situation. Someone we care about may be filled with anger and accusing us of not knowing what's really going on. What is going on? There's pain and fear fueling that rage. So what is needed? How do we respond? 
not through explanations about why that person is wrong. As you may have discovered, argumentative reasoning doesn't really work. The only thing we can do is extend a loving heart. We don't turn away from pain. Rather, we extend the healing embrace of compassion. Pema Chodron said, only to the degree that we've gotten to know our personal pain, only to the degree that we've related with pain at all, will we be fearless enough, brave enough, enough of a warrior to be willing to feel the pain of others. To that degree, will we be able to take on the pain of others because we will have discovered that their pain and our own pain are not different. As some of you know, 2021 is the year of the metal ox. Like all the signs of the Chinese zodiac, it comes around every 12 years. Barack Obama was born in the year of the metal ox on August 4th. 1961, so he will be 60 this year. He will have his konreki, as it is known in Japanese, five cycles of 12, seen as a new beginning, bringing the wisdom gained through the courageous and idealistic struggles of his first five cycles to the years ahead as an elder statesman. Isn't that wonderful? So you may wonder, as we're thinking of Obama, what are the traits of the metal ox? Persistence, determination, strength, honesty, dedication, diligence, dependability, unswerving commitment. And here is, maybe you can see an ox on a shikishi on the wall over my shoulder that was painted by Yamakawa Roshi. So 2021 is a good year to celebrate Barack Obama. It's a good year to be commemorating Martin Luther King, whose own short life was emblematic of those traits. And it's a good year for a new beginning in America with a new president and a renewed resolve to address and transform our own karmic baggage 
and that of our nation. But the road ahead will not be easy. In Chinese Zen, the ox represents the human heart-mind, Xin. Aspiration and training are essential for it to meet its potential. This relates to an analogy found in the Sutra on the last teaching of the Buddha, which tells us, just as you lead your ox by a rope so that it doesn't muck up your neighbor's field, it is necessary to train the mind not to run wild so that it doesn't jump willy-nilly into the fray and cause even more disturbance. And that's what we're doing here. Training the mind through discipline, resolve, and commitment. Our faith in that heart-mind deepens. Then, like a well-trained ox, we can walk purposefully on the path. Not the path of least resistance, but in fact, the path of greatest demand, just as did the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Risking everything, even his life, to meet that demand. He marched, he inspired us to join him for voting rights, for fair housing, to address poverty, to stop the war in Vietnam, and now to stand up and march in the face of this era's challenges, this era's polarization and injustice. Like many black preachers, King was a great orator, but his words were particularly inspiring because they came from a place of absolute faith and unwavering love. We cannot love those we perceive as enemies. Reconciliation doesn't work that way. We can't liberate all beings from suffering until we experience a radical acceptance starting within ourselves. When at long last, we begin to accept ourselves. We find that there is simultaneously an acceptance of others, even those others who may have harmed us or seem threatening today. With that acceptance, 
comes the realization that others are ourselves. That there is not the slightest gap between self and other. And faith naturally deepens. Love naturally flows. For Martin Luther King, faith and love were one and the same. He saw faith as a tool for change. He took up nonviolence in his activism, inspired by his mentor, Bayard Ruskin, and Mohandas Gandhi. King first learned about Gandhi as a seminary student in 1949, just a year after Gandhi was assassinated. Six years later, after the arrest of Rosa Parks, King mobilized the black community in Montgomery, Alabama for a boycott of the city's segregated bus lines. He was around 25 years old. He said, Christ showed us the way and Gandhi in India showed us it could work. As Hokuto Sensei said yesterday, King went through a period of wide ranging study and spiritual doubt. One night early in the bus boycott, he got a series of phone calls threatening to blow him up and blow his house down, burn it down. That very night, he had a vivid experience. He said, I could hear an inner voice saying, Martin Luther, stand up for righteousness. Stand up for justice. Stand up for truth. And lo, I will be with you even until the end of the world. Knowing that not everyone had the same firm conviction he did, he advised, take the first step in faith. You don't have to see the whole staircase. Just take the first step. And he said, the ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands in times of challenge and controversy. Never, never be afraid to do what's right, especially if the well-being of a person or animal is at stake. Society's punishments are small compared to the wounds we inflict on our soul when we look the other way. Our son pointed us to a book that I'm looking forward to reading in full. It's called We Still Here, Pandemic 
policing, protest, and possibility. It's by Mark Lamont Hill. And he writes in an excerpt that I read, King was a radical in the most literal sense. He wanted root level changes to the whole of society. This required dismantling what King called the triple evils of racism, poverty, and militarism. King wasn't naive or romantic about the work that needed to be done to realize his dream. He recognized, as Frederick Douglass did long before him, that, quote, power concedes nothing without a demand. He also understood that this demand would not come through the spontaneous moral conversion of the powerful. Rather, it would come from the resistance of the oppressed. King was rooted in and advanced the very same black radical tradition that informs and inspires the radical movements of today, end quote. Mark Lamont Hill. We still hear King's life as we know was cut short. His activism took place over a period of about 13 years, as Hokuto said. But it was extraordinarily consequential. And I recommend seeing a two-part documentary called King, a filmed record Montgomery to Memphis by Eli Landau. I happen to have it here, but since it's a very long film, I won't show it to you at this moment. It shows original footage from the major marches and events of those years. Now, most of us know King's I Have a Dream speech from the March on Washington in 1963. A couple of us were there. We know of the three marches for voting rights from Selma to Montgomery, Alabama. And many of us have read King's somber letter written while jailed in Birmingham. And we've seen footage of the brutality protesters faced, knocked down by fire hoses, bitten by police dogs, clubbed, kicked, and hurled bleeding into paddy wagons. But what struck me so forcefully in the King documentary was that Chicago in 1966 was worse than what went on in the Southern states in terms of sheer white hatred. As you probably know, in the, in the Great Migration, which started in 1916, Blacks moved to cities like Chicago looking for work, 
for a better life, hoping to escape the Jim Crow segregation of the, of the South. But post-Reconstruction racism was alive and well in the North. They were confined to neighborhoods with dilapidated housing and overcrowded, underfunded schools. The Chicago open housing movement, also known as the Chicago freedom movement, took place from mid-1965 to 1967, and it was organized by the Southern Christian Leadership Conference with King at the helm. As always, he walked the talk, moving into an apartment on Chicago's west side in January 1966, living among rats and roaches, just as his neighbors did. That summer, he and a few hundred demonstrators set out on a march to promote open, non-discriminatory housing. Almost immediately, he was knocked down by a rock thrown by one of some 700 counter-protesters lining the streets and hurling a steady barrage of bricks and bottles, shouting racial epithets. They waved signs with swastikas and the name George Lincoln Rockwell, head of the American Nazi party. To see this in this documentary is truly appalling. I haven't seen so many swastikas since I saw footage of Nazi Germany. Chicago. King told reporters afterwards, I've been in many demonstrations all across the South, but I can say that I have never seen, even in Mississippi and Alabama, mobs as hostile and as hate-filled as I've seen here in Chicago. And he said, I have to do this. I have to expose myself to bring this hate into the open. Although the march was derided as a failure by local citizens, the seeds were sown. Chicago's first black mayor was elected in, 19, in 1983. Another black man from Chicago became president of the United States in 2008. King's activism broadened according to the needs he saw. After organizing the Poor People's Campaign, he went to Memphis, Tennessee to support the sanitation workers in their strike for fair wages. And on April 4th, 1968, he was murdered there. 
MLK gave his life to his conviction that all beings deserve justice and that the only way to bring it about is to shine the light of freedom to embody love. He said, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. And the Dhammapada put it this way, hatred can never put an end to hatred. Love alone can. This is an unalterable law. People forget that their lives will end soon. For those who remember, quarrels come to an end. So we remember it's been 53 years, but Martin Luther King's life's work of putting himself at risk, being vulnerable, exposing himself to bring hatred into the open is more relevant than ever. The Civil War fought to abolish slavery, formally ended in 1865, but did it? Confederacy statues have been taken down, but Confederacy views have expanded far beyond the Southern states. Trump, I don't usually use that word. This is the last time I will ever use it. Trump will leave the White House on Wednesday. But his slogan, MAGA, make America great again. That is, make America white again continues to be supported by a vast segment of the population. In a healthy, just society, we wouldn't need to mobilize the National Guard to protect us at the inauguration of our next president. In a healthy, just society, we wouldn't need to say Black Lives Matter. But this is the as it isness of our time. We cannot pretend otherwise out of some Pollyanna innocence. 
So our task is to recognize the polarization of our nation without getting drawn into a war within, without falling into inner strife and aversion. Purifying our hearts of the three poisons of greed, hatred, and delusion. Let us aspire to dismantle what King called the triple evils of racism, poverty, and militarism. Martin Luther King's work is not finished. We continue it with gratitude and a resolute spirit. This path is endless. With each step, faith grows. With each breath, our confidence in who we truly are deepens. And we march on bravely. Each moment of this past year of dedicated practice. This weekend of strong sitting, this purposeful direction of the year of the ox calls us to shine the light of our universal heart mind everywhere. to extend our vow to save all beings without exception. So let's end with a little song that we have sung together on marches and demonstrations. There are so many of them, but let's sing this one. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. This has been a Zen Study Society podcast. If you found it to be of interest, please consider making a donation by visiting zenstudies.org slash donate. Thank you for listening.